Simple Medicine by Ru Dr. Rudolf Steiner and Dr. Ida Wegman. Fundamental Principles Based on the Science of the Spirit, Chapter 1. This small book presents new approaches in medical knowledge and skills. A proper judgment of its contents will only be possible for those who are prepared to consider the points of view that were dominant when the medical views discussed in these pages evolved. It is not a matter of being in opposition to the school of medicine that is working with the accepted scientific methods of the present time. We fully acknowledge its principles, and in our view, the approach we present should only be used by those who are fully able and entitled to practice medicine according to those principles. We do, however, add further insights to such knowledge of the human being as is now available through accepted scientific methods. These are gained by different methods, and we therefore feel compelled to work for an extension of clinical medicine based on these wider insights into the nature of the world and the human being. Basically, those who follow the established practice of medicine cannot object to what we are presenting because we do not go against that practice. The only people who can refuse to accept our attempt without further ado are those who not only demand that we accept their system of knowledge, but also insist that no insights may be presented that go beyond their system. Extended insight into the nature of the world and the human being is in our view offered in anthroposophy, an approach established by Rudolf Steiner. To our understanding of the physical human being, which can only be gained by the methods of natural science, footnote, natural science, which nowadays is generally referred to just as science, is here given its original name to avoid confusion with spiritual science or the science of the spirit. It adds understanding of the non-physical or spiritual human being. Anthroposophy does not involve progressing from insight into the physical to insight into the spiritual aspect by merely thinking about it. This would only produce more or less well-thought-out hypotheses, with no one able to prove that they are in accord with reality. Before anything is said in anthroposophy about the spiritual aspect, methods are developed that entitle one to make such statements. To get some idea of these methods, readers are asked to consider the following. All findings made in established modern medicine are essentially based on impressions gained through the human senses. Human beings may extend their ability to perceive what the senses can provide by means of experiments or through observations made using instruments, but this adds nothing essentially new to knowledge gained in that world in which human beings live through their senses. Thinking, insofar as it is applied to investigating the physical world, also does not add anything to the evidence of our senses. In thinking we combine, analyze, etc., sensory impressions to arrive at laws of nature. Those who investigate the world of the senses must, however, say to themselves, the thinking which thus wells up in me does not add anything real to the reality of the world perceived by the senses. This will change as soon as human beings do not limit themselves to the level of thinking that they initially develop through life, upbringing, and education. We can strengthen our thinking and increase its power. We can focus the mind on simple, limited thoughts and then, excluding all other thoughts, concentrate the whole power of soul on such ideas. A muscle gains in strength if tensed repeatedly, the forces always being in the same direction. Inner powers of soul are strengthened in the sphere that normally governs thinking by doing exercises of the kind just mentioned. It has to be emphasized that the exercises must be based on simple, limited thoughts. 
for the soul should not be exposed to influences that are half or even fully unconscious during those exercises. Parentheses. Only the principles of the exercises can be given here. For full details and directions on how to do such exercises, see Rudolf Steiner's Knowledge of the Higher Worlds, Occult Science, and other, and other anthroposophical writings. End parentheses. The most obvious objection to this is that if the whole power of soul is directed to a specific thought, focusing on it completely, all kinds of auto-suggestion and the like may arise, and one simply begins to imagine things. It is, however, also shown in anthroposophy how the exercises should go, so that the objection is null and void. It is shown that in doing the exercises, one proceeds in full presence of mind just as one does in solving a problem in arithmetic or geometry. The mind cannot lapse into unconscious spheres when solving such problems, nor can it do so if the directions given in anthroposophy are carefully followed. Doing the exercises strengthens the powers of thought to a previously undreamt of degree. We feel powers of thought active in us like a new content in the essence of our being. And as our being, as our own being, is given new content, the world too is perceived to have a content of which we may have had a vague idea before, but which we have not known from experience. Considering our ordinary thinking in moments of self-observation, we find our thoughts to be shadow-like and pale compared to the impressions gained through the senses. Perceptions gained through enhanced powers of thinking are far from pale and shadowy. They are full of content, utterly real images. Their reality is much more intense than is found in the content of our sensory impressions. A new world opens up for human beings when they have extended their powers of perception in the indicated way. Learning to have perceptions in this world, where before they were only able to have perceptions in the world of the senses, people realize that all the laws of nature they knew before apply only in the physical world, and that the nature of the world they have now entered is such that its laws are different, indeed the opposite of those in the physical world. In this world, the law of the Earth's force of attraction does not apply, but rather the opposite, for a force presents itself that does not act outwards from the center of the Earth, but the other way round, from the periphery of the universe to the center of the Earth. And the same holds true for the other forces of the physical world. In anthroposophy, the ability to perceive this world gained through exercises is called the power of imaginative perception. Imaginative not because one is dealing with figments of the imagination, but because the contents of the conscious mind are not thought shadows, but images. Sensory perception gives direct experience of being in a real world, and so does the interactivity of gaining imaginative knowledge. The world to which this perception relates is called the etheric world in anthroposophy. This is not the hypothetical ether of modern physics, but something truly perceived in the spirit. The name is used because it relates to earlier instinctive ideas of this world. Compared to the clear perceptions now possible, these ideas no longer have validity, but we have to give names to things if we wish to refer to them. Within this ether world, it is possible to perceive an etheric bodily nature that exists in addition to the physical bodily nature of a human being. Our etheric bodily nature is something that in essence exists only in the plant world. Plants have an ether body. 
the laws of physics actually apply only in the world of lifeless minerals. The plant world is possible on Earth because there are substances in the Earth's sphere that are not limited to the laws of physics, but may leave all physical laws behind and adopt laws that go in the opposite direction. The laws of physics act as though streaming out of the Earth. Etheric laws act as though streaming to the Earth from all sides of the world periphery. We can only understand the developing plant world if we, see, if we see how in it earthly physical principles interact with etheric and cosmic principles. And that is how it is with regard to the human etheric body. Because of it, something happens in the human being that is not a continuation of forces of the physical body acting according to their laws, but happens because physical substances rid themselves of their physical forces as soon as they stream into the etheric. At the beginning of a human life on Earth, most clearly so during the embryonic period, the forces of the etheric body act as powers of configuration and growth. As life progresses, a part of these forces becomes emancipated from activity and configuration and growth and is transformed into powers of thought the very powers that create the shadowy thought world we have in ordinary consciousness. It is of the greatest importance to know that ordinary human powers of thought are refined powers of configuration and growth. A spiritual principle reveals itself in the configuration and growth of the human organism, and as life progresses, this principle emerges as the spiritual power of thought. And this power of thought is only one part of the power of human configuration and growth that is at work in the etheric. The other part remains faithful to the function it had at the beginning of human life. Human beings can continue to develop when configuration and growth have reached an advanced stage, that is, to some degree a conclusion, and it is because of this that the non-physical spiritual etheric, which is alive and actively at work in the organism, is able to become power of thought in later life. The power to change and be changed thus presents itself to imaginative perception in one aspect as being etheric and spiritual, and, its, and in its other aspect as the sole content of thinking. If we consider the substantial nature of earthly substances and follow how they are worked on by the etheric, we have to say, whatever the substances enter into this creative process, they develop an essential nature that estranges them from physical nature. Becoming estranged, they enter into a world where the spiritual principle meets them and transforms them so that they assume its own nature. To rise to the, to the living, etheric nature of the human being, in the way described here, is something utterly different from the unscientific insistence on a, quote, vital force that was commonly used in the attempt to explain living bodies up to the middle of the 19th century. Here, it is a matter of directly perceiving, in mind and spirit, an essential principle that exists in humans and all other life forms, just as the physical body does. To gain this perception, we do not continue the ordinary way of thinking in some vague fashion, nor do we make up another world using our powers of fantasy. Instead, human perceptiveness is extended in a highly specific way, and this then also leads to experience of a wider world. The exercises that lead to higher perception may be taken further. Having made an extra effort to concentrate on specific thoughts, it is also possible to make an extra effort to suppress the imaginations, 
parentheses, images of a spiritual etheric reality, end parentheses, that have been achieved. The resulting state is a completely empty conscious mind. One is merely awake, and this waking, this waking state initially has no content. This waking state without content does not continue, however. Having been emptied of all physical and all image-like etheric impressions, it fills with a content that streams to it from a real world of the spirit, just as impressions gained of the physical world stream towards the physical senses. Through imaginative perception, we got to know a second aspect of our human nature. When the empty conscious mind fills with spiritual content, we get to know a third aspect. In anthroposophy, perceptive insight arrived at in this way is said to come through inspiration. Open parentheses. These terms should not put the reader off. They have been taken from an instinctive way of seeing worlds, of spirit, that belongs to primitive times. Their meaning in the present context, context is exactly stated. End parentheses. The world to which we gain access through inspiration is called the astral world in anthroposophy. Speaking of an etheric world in the terms used in these pages, we, re we refer to the influences that take effect from the world periphery in the direction of the earth. Speaking of an astral world, however, we progress in accord with what the inspired conscious mind observes from influences coming from the world periphery to specific spirit entities who are revealed in those influences just as the physical substances of the earth reveal their nature in the forces emanating from the earth. We speak of distinct spirit entities acting from the far distances of the universe, just as we speak of stars and constellations when we use the senses to look at the night sky. Hence the term, quote, astral world. In this astral world, human beings have the third aspect of their essential nature, the astral body. Earthly substantiality must also stream, must also stream into this astral body. In the process, it becomes further estranged from its physical nature. Human beings thus have their ether body in common with the plant world, and their astral body with the animal world. The essentially human element that raises humanity above the animal world is perceived and becomes known through a form of perceptive insight that is even higher than inspiration. This is called intuition in, in anthroposophy. In inspiration, a world of spiritual entities reveals itself. In intuition, the relationship of the perceptive human being to this world becomes a closer one. Something purely spiritual is brought to full conscious awareness, and conscious experience of this immediately shows that this has nothing to do with experience gained in our bodily nature. We thus enter into a life where we are human spirit among other spiritual entities. In inspiration, the spiritual entities of the world reveal themselves. Through intuition, we live with those spirits. We thus come to recognize the fourth aspect of the essential human nature, the I-self. Again, we become aware that in making itself part of the essence and active working of the I, earthly substantiality becomes even further estranged from its physical nature. The essential nature this substantiality assumes as I organization is initially the form in which earthly matter is most estranged from the physical nature it has on earth. The astral body and I we thus encounter are not tied to the physical body in the human organization the way the etheric body is. 
inspiration and intuition show that astral body and I separate from physical and etheric body during sleep. And that complete interpretation of the four aspects of human nature to create, to create an integral human entity exists only in the waking state. In sleep, the physical and etheric human body remain in the physical and etheric world. They are not, however, in the position in which the physical and etheric body of a plant are. They hold the after-effects of the astral and eye principles. In the moment they would no longer hold these after-effects, the individual must wake up. A human physical body must never be left merely to physical. A human ether body never merely to etheric influences. They would then disintegrate. Inspiration and intuition also show something else, however. Physical substantiality knows further development of its essential nature when it proceeds to be alive and actively working in the etheric. And life depends on the organic body being torn away from earthly nature and built up from the universe that lies beyond the earth. Such constructive development only results in life, however, and not in conscious awareness nor in self-awareness. The astral body needs to build its organization within the physical and etheric organization. The eye needs to do the same with regard to the eye organization. Yet this building up process does not lead to conscious development of an inner life of soul. For this to happen, constructive development has to be countered with destruction. The astral body builds its organs. It breaks them down again by letting the activity of feeling develop in the soul's inner awareness. The eye evolves its eye organization. It breaks it down again as, as will activity t takes effect in self-awareness. Let me do that sentence one more time. It breaks it down again as will activity takes effect in self-awareness. The spirit does not develop on the basis of constructive but of destructive activity of matter in the essential human being. If spirit is to be active in man, matter must withdraw from this activity. Even the development of thinking activity within the etheric body is not based on a continuation of etheric nature, but on its destruction. Conscious thinking does not take place in process of configuration and growth, but in process of defiguration and withering, dying, which are continually integrated into the etheric process. In conscious thinking, thoughts come free of the physical configuration process and as soul configurations become living human experiences. If we consider the human being on the basis of this approach to human nature, we realize that it is only possible to get full insight into both the human being as a whole and into an individual organ if we know how the physical body, the etheric body, the astral body, and the eye are active in them. In some organs, the eye is predominantly active. In others, the eye shows little activity, and the physical organization predominates. We can only fully understand the healthy human being if we know how the higher aspects of human nature take hold of earthly substance and compel it to serve them. And if we also realize that earthly substance changes when it enters into the sphere of activity of the higher aspects of human nature, in the same way, we can only understand the sick human being if we realize the situation which arises from the organism as a whole. For an organ or a sequence of organs, if the higher aspects mode of action becomes irregular, and we shall only be able to think of medicines when we develop knowledge of how an earthly substance or earthly process relates to the etheric, to the astral, to the eye. 
Only then will it be possible to introduce an earthly substance into the human organism or to treat the organism with an earthly activity to such effect that the higher aspects of the human being are able to develop unhindered or, of course, that earthly substantiality gains the support it needs from what has been added to it. So it, may, so it may go in a direction where it becomes the foundation for the work of the spirit on earth. Man is what he is through physical body, ether body, soul, or astral body, and I, spirit. In health, human beings must be considered in terms of these aspects. In sickness, perceived in terms of the balance between them being upset. For health, it is necessary to find medicines that will restore the upset balance. An approach to medicine based on these foundations is outlined in this book. <laughs>